Today on The Thread, we have part one of our interview with Kinetic Justice, talking about his role in the Alabama prison strike organizing and so much more, and Sherry Honkala, former Green Party vice presidential candidate, talking third-party politics, the role of the Democrats, her models for organizing, fundraising, and staying alive to fight another day. in the rotunda and one of the heads of the Democratic Party I won't say came over to me and said Sherry oh my god we're having this gala tonight like you can't be here with these families uh, and I said we, oh, we just marched all the way from Philadelphia I gotta be honest this my confession I ain't know what was gonna happen when I got arrested thought I was gonna be mistreated cause my skin could play black this is the thread a podcast against mass incarceration the mission is to create a national organ that weaves together the most politically advanced organizers in the movement against mass incarceration, through which we can explore and unite our strategies, tactics, and histories. Check out podcasts, study guides, materials for suggestions on how to organize around this podcast, and more at defeatmassincarceration.com. I'm Matt Pillisher, the producer and editor, and as part of this project, we have a great advisory board that you can also check out at our website full of activists and organizers across the country. Our amazing interns are Zach Sterali, Jordan McIntyre, and Christina Sierra. Theme music is from our friends at the Die Jim Crow Project. Check it out at diejimcrow.com. If you think the thread is useful for the movement, please support us on Patreon, also on our website. And we encourage you to, to organize a study group and send feedback. So let's get started. We welcome study groups that are listening to this now, and we look forward to your feedback. Today, we're going to highlight the struggles going on inside our prisons, getting some amazing insight on tactics and strategies of organizing behind the wall from one of the main organizers of the recent Alabama prison strike. His name's Kinetic Justice. And we're also going to talk about the war on the poor that's going on outside on the streets, which leads many people to prison and which is part of the overall picture of capitalism and mass incarceration that we're trying to change. We'll talk to Sherry Honkala about that and also about how elections can be used to further our movement goals. And now an interview with Kinetic Justice. He's behind bars in solitary confinement in Alabama's Holman Prison, one of the most overcrowded prisons in the U.S. This current strike um, began on May the 1st um, and involved in this strike were two major institutions as well as a, a lesser institution. And when I say major institution, uh, that is what we call institutions that have uh, an industry. And Alabama has uh, several prisons that house industries. And two of those prisons are Holman Correctional Facility and Hillmore Correctional Facility. Holman Correctional Facility produces every single license plate tag that's made in this state. Um, at Elmore Correctional Facility, uh, they have a canning plant uh, which cans the food that is disseminated throughout the Alabama Department of Correction. Uh, they also have a recycling plant, and they do the laundry for three major institutions. Uh, so on May the 1st, uh, Holman Correctional Facility and Elmore Correctional Facility uh, began a nonviolent peaceful protest um, in, in 
our issues is the 13th Amendment, as the 13th Amendment uh, was supposedly uh, issued to abolish slavery. However, we also um, have come to understand that um, what it actually did was transform the institution of slavery and uh, codified it uh, to where local, state, and federal government uh, could have a piece of it, uh, rather than just the Southern Agriculture Planner. The 13th Amendment states, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction, except as punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. Thanks. That was Christina, one of the Thread's interns. Hmm. Uh, so we wanted to push the envelope. Uh, so we got together and we decided to call May 1st, uh, May Day, May Day, mm-hmm. uh, to bring attention back to the state that don't forget uh, the people who run these prisons um, have a voice, have a say so, mm-hmm. and we don't agree. We don't agree with building uh, new prisons to deal with uh, the overcrowded and the unsanitary lack of education. Mm-hmm. True, a lot of these prisons do need to be torn down and probably uh, a new prison built, but that has to be done simultaneously with a process of actually releasing people. Um, so, in, uh, in protest of that. Um, we have engaged in as what we call shutdown or work strike, where no one in the institution uh, reports to their assigned duties, as we understand that inside of these prison institutions that all of the labor that is done from the kitchen to cleaning the floors to cleaning the grounds, the landscaping, as well as the industry work is done by inmate labor. Um, and when there is no inmate labor, uh, the prison doesn't function. In fact, the prison shuts down, and just like with any business, if you're not making a profit on a daily basis, you're losing money on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And it has worked uh, phenomenal with uh, getting us an audience uh, with people um, before the shutdowns that no one cared what we had to say. Nobody wanted to hear what we had to say. Right. Uh, we had no voice. So we cut out the middlemen of lobbyists and politicians and all that, and we go straight directly to the legislator mm-hmm. uh, without the politicians, and we use our labor as uh, bargaining chips uh, to bring about that necessary uh, criminal justice reform that is needed in the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually had people who have been locked up uh, in solitary confinement um, as retaliation. Myself, I've been in solitary confinement for 28 months uh, from the uh, work strike from 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, they brought in some new tactics this time. Um, they immediately started by cutting down the portions of food um, on the first day of the strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have a balanced meal, uh, as the officer kept saying. And if y'all don't like the way the food is, then y'all go back to work and y'all can fix it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that didn't work, uh, they, they went to the work releases. And they I don't know what they promised or what they threatened. Uh, the guys at the work release, um, but they had guys from work release to come into Elmore and to Holman in order to perform the jobs in the industry. Uh, they weren't concerned about the rest of the, the prison running, but uh, where they make their money at through the industry, as the tag plant is a billion-dollar business, and that was the thing that they were more concerned about, not our humanity, uh, not us eating well, not whether we were safe and secure, um, as they never cleaned the institution not one day you know trash was piled up inside the institution bacteria and you know we argued and complained about the, the spreading of germs and so forth uh, but what the department of correction was more concerned about was getting some workers uh, to produce those tags and, and that was a uh, first and last agenda and uh, was to get so if if, <clears throat> if i understand you th- these were people on work release from another institution that they brought in sort of as almost like sca- yes. forced scabs to, to do the work that would normally be done by you all in the institution? Yes, correct. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. And um, the industry jobs are paid something, right? But are, are all the jobs paid or are some of them... No. Okay. Actually, actually no job is a paying job in our number Department of Corrections except the industry, the tax and industry, recycling, chemical, uh, and different, uh, they pay them uh, starting out at 15 cents an hour. And um, I know a guy who's been working at 
18 years and he's made it to 60 cents an hour. And everything inside of the institution is a, 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 forced, a forced labor job where uh, no one is paid. Uh, work 8, 10, 12 hours a day and you receive nothing. Um, however, on the back side of that, um, we are charged all these fines and fees, yet we work for free. Uh, we receive no compensation for anything we do. Uh, therefore, we have uh, established that um, we are being used to extort money from our family members and loved ones because when your family members and loved ones send you a few dollars to try to make sure you have the basic necessities, uh, the DOC freezes the money and takes any money that they feel that they are owed. Well, since you bring it up, you know, the cell phone, you're talking to us from uh, a cell right now? or mm-hmm. Okay. Um and obviously this is contraband and you're risking, um, you know, the, the fines and more by, by talking to the outside world. Um, but you you consider yourself at war, you've said, and um, that, you know, you need to use every tactic uh, available and some of that is going to be illegal. Um, do you want to just uh, expand on that a little bit? Well, um, yeah. Um, and don't come out in every sense of the word when I say we're in a struggle for our life. Um, I mean that literally, as you know, around here people are dying from uh, lack of medical treatment, uh, lack of security, people are being murdered, you know what I'm saying? All types of, of methods in which you could lose your life uh, or the, the value or the quality of your life inside these institutions. We understand that they're using every tactic and every tool available to keep us here and to continue to make billions of dollars off of us. Uh, so it's on us to use every means available to us uh, to expose what's really going on inside of these places and what these people are really doing. Uh, so, you know, it's a risk in having a phone or being caught with a phone, and, and it's, a, it's a risk worth taking. What was the reaction in, in 2014 when you did the, the work stoppage? Um, in, in regards to uh, 2014, um, uh, we, 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 we covered a lot of ground. We didn't get as far as we would have uh, liked to, but we did establish uh, unity across uh, you know racial lines, religious lines, and we established a foundation on the inside mm. that we could organize around. Mm. Uh, and that was the most important thing that we accomplished in 2014, actually uh, bringing that unity, that unified front. And that's where we come with our freedom bill. Uh, where legislation we've drafted up uh, that institutes education, rehabilitation, and reentry preparedness as a system inside of the Department of Corrections. Not just some kind of program that you can take, but it becomes incumbent on everyone who comes in the Alabama Department of Corrections that you're in, inducted into the education, rehabilitation, reentry preparedness program. And once you complete these programs, that your parole uh, criteria has been met. I love how you explained how the 2014 actions re- really solidified your your work together and s- sounds like really built solidarity and organization. Is that where Free Alabama Movement was started? Was it then or was it before that? Actually, well, we have um, for years, for the last 15 years, uh, we've been uh, part of a law class. Uh, it was a group of us who uh, taught each other the law and, you know, go through uh, the practical application of using the law. And we do uh, the elderly people in the prison legal work for free. Mm. And we've done that for several years. And as a part of trying to do something to help the larger part of the prison population, uh, we came to bring in our legal understanding together with our organizing ability. Um, and we organized around our labor, and we used our legal expertise to draft up uh, the Freedom Bill and uh, we went about educating and organizing throughout the prison, and uh, naturally, we 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 turned our uh, idea into a movement. Um, now, f- for people on the outside who haven't been in prison, can you explain a little bit about what it actually looks like to organize in the prison? Like in terms of the Free Alabama movement, you said you know. Um, you had all these great ideas and it caught on and everyone in pretty much the state of Alabama that's in prison would have something to gain from it. What does it look like? You're, you're obviously talking to people, I guess, when, when you're, when you're out, uh, when you're not in solitary. Well, well, how it works is, uh, 
inside a prison, you have uh, different religious communities. You have the Christian, you have the church, uh, you have the mosque for Islam, and uh, you have the Catholic. Uh, you have uh, different affiliations on religious borders. And what I did is just, uh, I, I spoke to the, the pastor, the imam, or the head of all these communities, and, and I was afforded uh, an hour um, during their services, uh, maybe twice a week. And I educated at their religious services. Wow. Uh, I used that time to explain what was going on, the outside uh, help we had, the people who were in place outside, and what we needed to do on the inside. And, and that's the method that I used here at Holman to, to organize. I, I went through the religious community mm. and, you know, the street, the street uh, gang organizations. I, you know, I went through uh, the heads of the, of the organizations and I, uh, had a leadership conference with the heads of every community and got them on board, and then they took it back to their respective houses and explained further, and then they invited me in to give a more in-depth understanding. And that's the process of how we educated and uh, organized here at home. Wow, thank you. That's that's extraordinary to hear. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think I've heard in that much detail sort of how it was carried out. Um, and I, obviously you did a, a huge amount of this work, um, you know, without naming other people. Did you had other people that were doing similar things in terms of giving speeches and talking to different groups? Yeah, well, actually, um, we did speakerphone uh, to different institutions. Uh, I would give a certain, uh, I would give a, a lecture at a certain group and somebody in that group would just have a phone on speakerphone for that community in another prison. Uh, so I was actually getting two for one. Um, I know a lot of the Islamic communities, they had uh, had me on speakerphone with different Islamic communities at St. Clair, at Elmore, and different prisons so that they could get a first-hand account of what was going on and what was expected of them. Um, but yes, I have uh, several other brothers uh, throughout the institution who do their part, uh, brothers at different institutions who do their part. And, you know, mainly that's what we, we use. We use the heads of different communities, whether they be a street gang or religious organizations or social community, whatever in prison uh, that there's a function and that they have a head, that's who we target. We target the leaders, and we uh, bring the leaders into understanding and give the leader the opportunity to take that back to their flocks or to their communities. And mm-hmm. then we do a follow-up and come back and lay it all out on how this is going to go. Uh, who's going to do what, uh, when the protest on the outside is going to be, uh, when the, the press conference is going to be. And we try to lay it out to give everybody as much information as possible uh, because I understand that the more information you get, uh, the more informed uh, decision you make. And you usually make better decisions when you have more information. Mm. There's some perception of people outside um, or even inside the prisons probably that heads of religious communities or heads of street gangs are not interested in politics are you know either just sort of interested in religious issues or their own leadership of a certain group of people or um, sectarian you know issues but that doesn't seem to be the case here and I you know I wonder if you could just talk about that your experience I mean me as an organizer I think if you bring you know, really good ideas to people that explain their circumstances and have some solutions to their problems, they're probably going to get on board with it. Um, and it sounds like that was your experience. Well, well that, that's exactly it. You, um, in organizing, um, knowing the people, uh, the, the, the needs, of, you got to get amongst the people. Yeah. And once you're amongst the people and talk to the people, then you know what the issues are amongst the people. And it's just, it's just, I guess it's, 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 nat- it's natural uh, for people to be, you know what I'm saying, uh, more in tune, more attentive to things that deal with them, to things that affect their daily lives. And when you can talk about things that affect people's daily lives, they're, they're usually all ears. And especially if you can come up with a solution to the problems that they have, then people are a, a lot more uh, inclined to to be on board, and that's what, you know, we were able to do, you know what I'm saying, um, if a given that I've been in prison, so I know the issues that affect the people in prison, Right. Um, I know how to communicate those issues, and I know who to talk to um, inside these institutions, so like I said, I just talked to the leadership. 
Can you explain, talk a little bit about the structure of the Free Alabama Movement? You said you were on a conference call with them just before our first interview. Um, can you describe that, how you talk and how decisions are made? Is it democratic decision-making? Is there leadership? Can you just talk a little bit about the structure of Free Alabama Movement? Uh, yeah, how we function. Um, uh, James Pleasant, well, Brother Ice, uh, he's at St. Clair Correctional Facility. Uh, Melvin is at Donaldson Correctional Facility, and I'm at Holman Correctional Facility. Uh, these are Alabama's three maximum security prisons. And Free Alabama Movement uh, initially started out uh, at the maximum security prison, and this is uh, the first ground that we began organizing on in the maximum security prisons with uh, people who had uh, a few years in the system and, and knew what the system was about and knew how the system worked. Uh, so that's where we began. Um, over the course of, of the of development, uh, as I told you yesterday, uh, Free Alabama Movement is an inside-outside solidarity network of um, prisoners as well as uh, political uh, groups, uh, family members, loved ones, etc. Um, we have uh, a few uh, a few women on the outside who uh, who function uh, in the capacity of of being our hands and our and our feet and our mouths in society. And those three women uh, make up what we call mothers and family members, uh, which is a nonprofit group that we created. Uh, on the outside for them to be in a supportive role uh, of the things that the Free Alabama Movement were doing on the inside. Um, so our conference calls are, are genuinely <laughs> made up of myself, uh, Melvin, and uh, Fauci, and uh, the sisters from mothers and family members. Uh, that's genuinely the core uh, decision-making body. However, uh, we have what's called on uh, Three times a week, we do a Universal Peace and Unity Conference, and the Universal Peace and Unity Conference, which is made up of, of 10 different brothers from different affiliations and different institutions, that we bring all the leadership uh, together on a weekly basis, and we discuss uh, the things that are going on in different institutions, and we come up with policies uh, and educational curriculums that we implement in these different institutions to try to keep down the violence and to create some kind of self-help educational program uh, on the inside for ourselves. Um, the Free Alabama Movement, uh, our decision-making is uh, usually made between myself, Melvin, and uh, Brother Dati uh, with the founding board of the mothers and family members of the sisters on the outside that uh, we confer with. Okay. Um... Wow, so you keep yourself busy with a lot of different meetings, it sounds like. I just, I just, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Pastor Kenny Glasgow. Um, Was he the one on he, Democracy Now! with you? Yes. Yes. That's him, that's him. Yeah. But when we came uh, with the concept, the concept of Free Alabama Movement, I knew we needed an outside spokesperson to uh, do the negotiating and mediating for us. And he was the first person that came to my mind. So when I got in touch with him and explained to him, the idea and the vision of what we were doing, uh, he was 100% on board with it, and he's been 100% on board since then. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do a lot of conferring uh, with the Ordinary People Society, uh, as well as the formerly and currently incarcerated people's movement. How are you affiliated with the um, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee of the IWW? Um, in 2014, when we... Uh, launched the first uh, work strike. Um, we um, were networking and, and reaching out to different groups and organizations and affiliations, and we ran across Jimmy Bell Duca. Uh, Jimmy Bell Duca is a, a member of the IWW. And then uh, the IWOC, I think, is the branch that they created to uh, do more inside prison work. Right. And that relationship with Brianna has blossomed into <clears throat> all of the pamphlets that we created, all of the literature, all of the you know the articles we wrote and put together and selected writing, uh, we were able to get with Brianna and we put those together in pamphlets and booklet forms uh, to try to educate prisoners across the country. And she's done an exceptional job of getting uh, literature and getting information inside of institutions across this country. But we uh, linked up with uh, the brothers from UNAM, uh, and that's United Nations Against the Machine, and these are the brothers who were responsible for the 2010 uh, work strike in Georgia. 
okay. were able to. Yeah, we, we met them in January of 2014, uh, right after the work strike. And um, after networking with these brothers uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, I think they were all targeted and placed on what's called a tier program. They created some kind of security housing unit special program, and all of the leaders uh, or the organizers of the shutdown, uh, they placed on solitary confinement in the tier program. Uh, so when we lost communication with them, um, we began doing a, a, a blog talk radio show uh, twice a week. Um, and as a part of that, uh, we met a sister from Mississippi, and she was uh, an ex-correction uh, officer. And she was interested in the work that we were doing, and she seen a need for that type of work in Mississippi. And she uh, introduced us to a couple of people, and uh, over the course of a few months, we were entrenched in every prison in Mississippi. And as relationships continued to grow, uh, we began to meet uh, brothers uh, throughout the country. Um, one of those brothers, uh, he's from California, uh, brother Anthony Robinson. He's a very, very prolific writer. And uh, we explained to him our concept and ideology and, and the things that we were working on and what we were striving for. And as a result of that, he created uh, the new underground railroad movement, uh, which is formatting uh, basically just like the Free Alabama Movement is. Uh, the IWOC and Free Alabama Movement aided and assisted in drafting up uh, the paperwork and manifesto and creating the Free Virginia Movement. Um, I know I think I told you yesterday that I communicate with uh, one of the members from the Lucasville Five, uh, Brother Sadiq Hassan, yes. uh, who's on death row in Ohio. Yeah. And, um, and we were able to pull some people together and help them uh, structure the Free Ohio Movement. Mm. Uh, so now, as of today, we're looking at uh, the Free Ohio Movement, the Free Virginia Movement, Free Mississippi Movement United, and the New Underground Railroad, uh, which is uh, geared towards California and the brothers in Texas. It's all sort of, it's all sort of um, uh, repeating your organizing model. Yes, it's, it's, um, it's the same exact uh, model. So, um, you know, as someone that's just coming, becoming familiar with all the, um, the prison organizing that you're talking about, because I, I had only really read about the Pelican Bay and California prison strike and the Georgia strike, and it sounds like they had some, some influence, I'm sure, that you studied and followed those, um, but it sounds like... Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it sounds like you really created your own model um, for for Alabama's prison conditions, um, and connected with some people in the IWW that wanted to help support from the outside as well as ordinary people's society. And it sounds like IWW or IWOC has really helped um, support you, get you materials, but also connect you and network with other people in other states' prisons to help them uh, model sort of the same type of organizing that you're doing. Is that sort of right? Oh, a a absolutely. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the IWOC, uh, well, I, you know, and I give credit to the IWC, but we deal uh, directly with Rihanna. And if there are people in prison who hear about this and want to become connected to it, do you think the IWOC is the best uh organization for them to contact to get plugged into this work? I do a lot of work with uh, the ABC, the Anarchist Black Cross out of Denver, out of Chicago, uh -huh. out of Wisconsin, uh -huh. in Georgia. Then I do some work with uh, the Black Autonomy Federation with uh, our brother Lorenzo Irvin um, out of Tennessee. Um, but the IWOC would definitely be a great, a great place to start okay. if you're trying to get plugged in. Okay, okay. So but there's lots of different groups depending on the state and the location uh there's different groups working on th this issue it sounds like there's no still yet no national um solidification of an organization that's part of the work that i'm trying to do with this podcast is um on the outside it's similar to there's there's not yet one single national organization that is brought together both formerly incarcerated people and um, people who have not been in prison but want to fight mass incarceration. Um, and I'm trying to use this podcast 
as a way to try and weave together different pockets of organizing that I've seen as I've toured Broken on All Sides and to get the smartest, uh, you know, most advanced organizers on the show to talk through their tactics and strategies, the different issues, so that we can kind of learn from each other and like you said, taking a pulse from people to figure out what's going on in California is not the same as what's going on in Alabama or Texas or Maine. Um, so I'm, I'm doing my best to try and make those connections with this show um, and, uh, and to share some tactics and strategies, but also some history and some theory. So you've really done a little of everything, but I, what I'm really, uh, really so thankful for is to learn about how you've you know, done the nuts and bolts of organizing inside, and it's really the most detailed I've ever heard from someone. So um, I think this is going to be really useful to both other people in prison that get access to this uh, podcast or the transcripts, but also to, to organizers on the outside that are, you know, like you said, you're talking to the pastor. It's like, how do we not just have people show up at a protest but actually become organizers and build a movement it's not it's not easy to do and um so we're all struggling with these questions that, 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 is, that is the major issue how to bring all of these fragmented uh movements and, and and resistance groups together up under one umbrella that is that is the, the million dollar yeah the million dollar question how do you do that that was part one of our interview with Kinetic Justice from the Free Alabama Movement. Next up is our interview with Sherry Honkala, known for her organizing work with the Kensington Welfare Rights Union, the Poor People's Human Economic Rights Campaign, for her candidacy for Sheriff of Philadelphia in 2011 under the Green Party ticket, for her run as vice presidential candidate for the Green Party in 2012, and currently organizing the March for Our Lives on July 25th. We interviewed her in her apartment, which also doubles as a working office, and you'll also hear Galen Tyler, who is another organizer with Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign. Uh, my name is Sherry Honkala. Uh, and I always say that at the beginning of all interviews uh, because uh, I'm a part of a class that has been made consciously invisible forever. I'm a formerly homeless mother of two children and uh, I have a passion uh, for wanting to and uh, the violence of uh, poverty, hunger, and homelessness in this country. I have um, four boxes of uh, unlawful arrests. Um, Frontline uh, has determined that I've, I'm one of 13 people doing human rights work in the U.S. Um, that are in most danger. And they, they flew me to... Um, Ireland uh, to meet with other human rights defenders from around the world people you know that were dealing with like bomb threats and all of these other horrible things there they were giving out grants to these different people for like extra security outside their homes and teaching some of the women how to look under their cars for bombs and all of these kinds of things and then it came to me and, you know, we live in the country that houses the School of the Americas and teaches dictators and military um, how to kill people and invade people and uh, do horrible human rights violations all over the world. Um, so there's was very covert. <laughs> in very, very covert ways. And theirs was just like, oh! Good luck. No, no. <laughs> Can we talk about Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign? Maybe you could just explain a little bit. I, I read that that was largely started in response to Bill Clinton's infamous welfare reform. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? And maybe we can go into the Democrats a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, 
you had started Kensington Welfare yeah, Rights I Union start, previous I, to that. I, I started the Kensington Welfare Rights Union. Um, I was actually did the thing that no woman is supposed to do. Uh, I was living in the Twin Cities, and I was homeless with my son, Mark. And, you know, we were taking over houses, taking over houses, abandoned government-owned houses in order to stay alive and help other families stay alive. Um, we call it the New Underground Railroad. And you moved and homeless people into these empty houses. Yeah, I'm, so we didn't want to be a part of the nonprofit industrial complex. We didn't, we didn't want that model. So we went internationally and looked at things like... Um, you know, large numbers of people impoverished in Africa and dealing with the issue of AIDS and not dealing with any money. And they had a very different way of organizing themselves. It wasn't like, let's get together and first write a foundation grant and then we'll end our devastation. Uh, they just know that they had to move. And so in that process, we learned some important things. We've learned the importance of um, uh, having fun, uh, music, dancing, uh, taking care of each other. All these things that people consider to be hokey um, are absolutely essential. And if you meet their basic needs, but if you, if you, also feed their mind and have them understand that they really can't go anywhere, that they really are needed and it's not bullshit, uh, then they stay around. Uh, and so we, we do educationals and we do study and all of that kind of stuff because we think it's very important that people understand the politics of hunger and homelessness and, you know, because they tell us all the time that there's not enough to go around and this whole thing is about mm. scarcity. Mm. And we don't believe in the politics. Manufactured scarcity. There's enough of everything. You know, Absolutely. we just try to teach, and that, that I joke all the time, my name is Cher because I share. And there's a bunch of selfish ass bastards, you know? And so like, and that's a hard thing. You know what I mean? Um, I was gonna ask you a question about the nonprofit industrial complex. Oh yeah. Because, mm. um, so let's talk a little bit more about that. How do you that. feel about that? Um, well, I feel the same way you feel about it, but mm. I think it's uh, people you don't have, understand it. Well, I don't. I don't think people understand that it's a somewhat recent phenomenon, and I think it's kind of interesting that you would go internationally to look at models of grassroots organizing because it's been, I think, pretty much since the '60s and early '70s, and that wave of radical grassroots organizing is when the government pushed. Solution is not that, it's professional activism, it's nonprofit, it's foundation money, work within the system. And so I grew up, we're growing up, you grew up in a system where unless you read history books or talk to people that have passed down, you know, that radical grassroots activism, we don't have it very much in this country. And that's something that very much I'm trying to, you know, support and, and uplift different voices doing that. Um, they teach people not to be, uh, to dummy down, uh, to not study. People's have, people have to start asking some very critical questions. And it's not just about like, is Hillary or um, Trump gonna be president of this country? Um, are, you know, this question of, are we gonna be able to like, are we gonna have to pay for fresh air? Um, uh, our water, our, our planet, um, not having a public education system anymore, the privatizing of everything. And with the further automization um, and technology and communication, like every kind of job. So if people are not able to like sell their labor in order to survive, then I think the generations to come has some very critical questions to ask. Well, here's the thing. That technology could be used to make all of our lives so much better and easier. I don't want to work in a factory. Right? You're kind of smart, man. Could be. Yeah. But under the system of capitalism and ever-increasing profits, it's not making our lives easier. 
the iPhone's supposed to make, oh, no, you're doing twice the work and you're doing it when you're in bed, you're doing it when you're on the toilet, because these things aren't designed to make our lives easier. They're designed to make other people profit. Yep. We're right now. Yeah. We're right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think that's part At of the At the whole... end of the day, it's going to be about who's in control. Yeah. And um, whenever you think that there's some progressive media on the horizon, then then um, the, all the cockroaches come around <laughs> and a- offer anybody with an independent voice a few carrots. And then you don't see that kind of um, investigative journalism, uh, critical thinking. Looking for the root, like you were saying. Looking for the root. That's the difference between us and the nonprofit industrial complex. And that's why they've got to shut us up and make us invisible. And take uh, credit for your victories and your right. Right, because they have to. You are very smart. They, they, listen, no, 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 you know, in all social movements, right? The authentic, real aspects. You have to create some fake bullshit, um, so that you can misdirect those movements. Um, so, when and they've done you, this throughout you mean, history. You mean the status quo, not us. You mean the no, the bad guys, yeah. the powers that be. I mean, you know, when we were first getting started. Um, and we just, you know, we were excited to have different people interested in us. And, you know, these, you know, like the Ford Foundation uh, flew us to the Kennedy Library, um, put a bunch of lawyers in the room, people from academia, uh, bought us really good food um, and spent all day. And, uh, and then flew us around the country and uh, had us talk to um, gajillionaires. And we thought, wow, we're, we're going to get some money for this movement. We're going to end poverty. They're putting us in the room with people that got some money and dot, 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 dot. Took all the information and hired other people to do the exact same thing. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Uh, it was like, oh my God, oh my God. And then the people who are doing that work, even if they come in as enthusiastic about the issues as you, are tied to the funding stream. Yeah, we are tied. They, and, and people self-censor because they think, is this going to scare Ford? Is this going to scare Soros? We were the cover. We were the poster <laughs> children. We were the poster children for the Ford Foundation. Exactly. You know what the Ford Foundation did? The one of the program officers went and started a whole separate organization. Took members from our ranks, raided our shop. We can't say it out loud, or we'll die. All right, we won't do that. We don't want to die yet. Okay. Um, How intense is that? The same program officer that took time out at the Ford Foundation to go work on the Obama campaign. But, but it took us a while, you know what I mean, to learn. They put us on like this international network and they wanted us to relate to other poor people's organizations around the world to bring them into their camp. So it was like pimping us. Uh, and, the, and they, you know, they offered me a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Um, and expend a very well a paid, paid yeah. sabbatical just for me to get out of the game right now. Mm-hmm. Sherry, go spend some time, go write some books, yeah. make it academic. Yeah, yeah. we'll send somebody with you. Correct, Yo, correct that sounds grammar. sexy sometimes. Correct your grammar. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, so. For the people, so I'm 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 right there with you, and uh-huh. the work that I do is largely unpaid. It's it's trying to figure out a way to do it. Oh, there's be nothing genuine. sexy about that. So, what do you what do you tell people? Um, he keeps making noise, I know. man. He's so irritating. What's your model for fundraising and for operations and for supporting your activities? And people need to live and eat and pay rent. Really? And, 
uh, how, how, you know, wh what is the model for people who want to stay genuine, grassroots, shake the system, change the system, but need to survive? Um, I mean, you've been doing we, that we, your whole we, life. We stole the model from uh, my, 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 my spiritual ancestor, Harriet Tubman, uh, which is um, during slavery, slavery, she knocked on the doors of people and asked them straight up to break the law in order to keep other people alive. So we are very much a part of an underground economy. Um, and uh, we are, we totally stay away from anything having to do uh, with drugs. Uh, because we know that they're out to get us <laughs> and also because you know our all poor families have been so impacted by the drug economy we done okay. so leadership leadership yeah yeah no yeah but you got to be responsible you, accountable you got, responsible yeah, yeah yeah and people remind me all the time like eh, you didn't get in that leadership position because you chose it I help you play that particular role and you're accountable to the movement. See, I'm a part of a movement that uh, isn't just worried about me and mine. I'm a part of a movement that will whoop my ass uh, and hold me accountable uh, if I don't share. So um, to, to push you a little bit further into the logistical mm -hmm. aspects of leadership, mm -hmm. um, do you have do you work in organizations that like have democratic decision making? Is it more loose than kind of like people sitting around a table and raising their hand? Is it more consensus? Is it more dictatorial for lack of okay. a better word? So How this is a war out here. And we can't use anything but war to describe what we're dealing with, right? So in terms of leadership, we are set up like a military. Uh -huh, like uh -huh. we got our generals, uh -huh. <laughs> soldiers in this process. And um, that's because- And there's discipline. And there's discipline. And no, we, can, we can't afford mental masturbation. Mm -hmm. We can't afford politically correct ideas that don't actually turn into anything. And we're very pragmatic. I mean, I, I think I, I'm in alignment with what you're saying. Um, I've been able to travel the country with Broken on All Sides and seen pockets of people organizing all over the country. And part of what I really try and do in my work is connect those dots, and connect those pockets of struggle. And that's part of what the podcast is about. Um, I think there is a sleeping giant. I think people are pushed so far that they are looking for ideas to change their fucking lives. Mm -hmm. But the right ideas need to be there for them to grasp. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I would you agree, that's part of why someone like Trump is becoming so popular because it's an alternative. It's not the right, what we would call the right alternative, um, that there are openings for both the extreme right and the extreme left in times like this. Right, and I, w I wish it wasn't just it would be much easier if it was just the extreme right and left but it's that nonprofit industrial complex it's all those like let me hold on to my like little job here uh it's the the people that are policing their own people in the warsaw ghetto it's the people, all the people that are on the social media that are distorting the message and not telling the story because in this drama that's playing out, there's the real story. And that one is not being told. And that real story, if it's told, it's done because the majority of the people in this country are great people. If they only knew what the fuck was taking place, what was going on, that's it. Right. This, it's done. Right. So what was your first, when did you learn that the Democrats were not the answer to all our problems? 
Well, I think I learned it the first time I met them. Um, but I had to go through my own loss of innocence. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, for, uh, for my whole life, until about seven years ago, um, I was the go-to person um, for almost the country. Um, whenever the Democrats came to me, they said, you know, Sherry, we need 2.3 people. We need them to have this miserable thing happening in their life. And we need you to organize buses so that they can go to Congress or they can go to Harrisburg or they can go wherever and tell their stories and get a free sandwich and go back home on the bus and things will stay the same uh, for 30 years. Uh, and so that's what I did. You know, come up with some new laws. Let's put an end to some of these things. And then it never happened. <laughs> and it never happened and it never happened and then they saw like consciousness and leadership developing from this process right like one time we we marched uh out of necessity we had a, an encampment on american street in harrisburg when we arrived they were having a bipartisan event um this one particular time and when we were in there they had champagne and caviar in the rotunda and one of the heads of the democratic party i won't say came over to me and said sherry oh my god we're having this gala tonight like you can't be here with these families uh and i said well, you know we just marched all the way from philadelphia blah 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 and they said you know well we have box lunches if you go to the end of the hallway we can hook everybody up with box lunches and, you know, one of the homeless women said, you know, we didn't march for seven days, 22 miles a day for box lunches. We're not going anywhere. And then um, we lived there for six weeks inside the Capitol. Um, and it was during that time I really learned um, that there was no difference between Pepsi and Coke. Um, we had our real civics lesson. Um, because we lived with our elected officials and leaders. Sherry, we hate to tell you this, but starting uh, today at six o'clock, we were gonna have a closing time for the Capitol. And they sent in like 200 state troopers, literally like six of them, each side of me, picked my ass up and put me out on the Capitol stairs along with all the other families. And then we um, lived there for about two weeks. And then um, we got notice that now the Capitol stairs were gonna um, be closing. They're gonna have a closing time. So we slept there that night on the stairs with all the blankets. And Tom Ridge, um, in the middle of the night, about three o'clock in the morning, it was like the coldest night in October, the governor ordered the removal of all the blankets. So um, the state troopers came out in the middle of the night, removed blankets off of women and children, and I had to go down to Sheets Grocery Store two blocks down and beg them for plastic and cardboard or people would have gotten hypothermia. And the Democrats knew the whole thing taking place through this whole horrible process. And it was that night I was born, that was it. Um, because I learned that there's, there's a crossing point. At some point, basic things like humanity and staying alive and little kids, and you don't do something about it, like you're just as responsible as the removal of the blankets. So, yep, yeah, so. I became clear then, um, but then I stayed in the Democratic Party. Okay, let's keep going. I stayed in the Democratic Party until one day. Um, I just, you know, did what a lot of people did, which is I became anti-political. That's it. Mm. The fuck the Democrats, fuck the Republicans, 
fuck electoral politics. That's basically the point I got to. And then there was these crazy people that knocked on the door. I was at my office. Two sets of crazy people, right? Um, one was um, a very powerful Democrat, probably the most powerful Democrat in the state of Pennsylvania. I won't say his name. He's still... I think I know who you're talking You do know who you're talking about. Okay. The most okay. powerful. Yeah. Okay? He said, Sherry, make a list of everything you want. I'm telling you. I was in a room full of people. They said, make a list of everything that you want, right? He said, wouldn't you like a new office? All these kind of things. Ba, 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 ba. Okay. So then, two days later, this other group of people came in the room. And they said, uh, Sherry, hi, I'm from the Green Party. Um, and uh, I shouldn't talk like that. We have this great idea. Uh, we think that you should run for office. I said, oh, really? I said, well, what office? And they said, well, we were thinking um, that if you ran for sheriff, we could take the foreclosure issue and bring it to the national arena. And we know that you're passionate about homelessness and, and foreclosure and stuff like that. And I looked at him like, oh. <laughs> obviously you didn't vet me very good. Like I have over 200 arrests. And uh, I said, you know what? This happened for a reason. Uh, they are right. Uh, and so I got myself a, a horse um, from some of the drug dealers in the neighborhood. I uh, got myself a hat and I rode through Kensington and announced that I'm the new sheriff in town. <laughs> and that if people vote for me, um, not only will I halt all home foreclosures, I'm not going to evict you either uh, until there's some changes that happen in the city and that people have access to affordable housing. And so I literally had like entire crews of like bikers and you know every group of people that you could possibly imagine. Um, you know, all the bars around here and that kind of stuff um, were all working on my campaign. Then, um, so we're all still starving. We all still need money. Right. No, I know. <laughs> and you ran for vice president of oh, the United States. Oh, I forgot that part. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's easy to forget. Yeah, and then, you know, the, the, the short version is, is uh -huh. that um, uh, running for political office is similar to, like, um, having a semi-truck come and run you over and then you back up and they run over you again. Yeah. And you two were arrested trying to get into one of the debates, one of the yeah. presidential debates was I think one of the more yeah. famous parts of that campaign. And uh, Jill and I were then um, taken 10 miles away um, uh, in a paddy wagon and into a warehouse um, in a room full of metal chairs and both Jill and I were met by about 30 Secret Service officers and myself and Jill were um, put on the metal chairs and handcuffed sideways for nine hours. So you survived. Yeah, that, so we survived that. and then Jill and I are suing 10 corporations um, that we're control the debates. Yep. We're suing the 10 corporations that make decisions on who gets to be a part of the presidential debates. So that's things like uh, United Airlines, um, I think IBM, I can't remember all the particular um, corporations, but it's 10 corporations um, that control it. So, yeah, so we're suing the 10 corporations while she's running for president. Uh, so the March for Our Lives is going to happen on opening day of the Democratic National Convention, July 25th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon.
Uh, we are going to march up Broad Street in Philadelphia. Um, and so our fight is to get the idea out there that we don't have to live like this and that we can truly have um, another party in this country. And it doesn't have to be funded by corporations. And so we are going to march to the doors um, of the Democratic National Convention. At the end, uh, we are going to be joining uh, Dr. Jill Stein uh, in a massive tent across the street. Um, and she is going to have a power rally. And um, uh, Immortal Technique, um, rapper Mike Crenshaw, uh, Ethel Longscott, lots of amazing leaders from across the country um, will be speaking uh, at the Power Rally. Um, and everything will just go smooth and great. The, the happy part of the story is that I've begun to get emails and calls from people that have decided that they're done and they want to register green. Um, and there's actually entire like unions uh, that I'm in conversation with. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, that's the other hopeful thing is, you know, these secret conversations that are mm -hmm. happening mm -hmm. with all different kinds of like city workers and stuff um, that are, they're done. Any, any audience members of this podcast, there will be some people in prison mm -hmm. who get to listen to this or a transcript of it. And I'll write you if you write me. Well, that's, that's a very nice offer. Um, do you have any special messages for, for them? You know, hold on to hope. Uh, there's good people that are out here on the outside and we're trying to figure out how to help the rest of you join us out here uh, to make a better world. Fabulous. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. It was a wonderful conversation. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm so glad you're doing this. Oh, thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So glad. Well, four and hours later. And you know you're later. special. I've never <laughs> done an interview this long. <laughs> I was. Thank you. I just... Well, you're special. Thank you. <laughs> Check out the thread's working principles on our website. We encourage groups and individuals in agreement with the working principles to start study groups around the podcast, provide feedback to the show that we can incorporate into future podcasts, and to send in movement announcements for events related to defeating mass incarceration. For now, check out the March for Our Lives taking place in Philadelphia, July 25th. Find info at defeatmassincarceration.com. Thanks, Jordan. That's one of our interns here. We will be at Philadelphia Fights Prison Healthcare and Reentry Summit uh, networking on June 15th, and also Chicago's Socialism Conference uh, for four days, July 1st through the 4th, of jam-packed revolutionary organizing and education. So check those out, and I hope to see you there. Please send us feedback, announcements, and suggestions through the website. Email us at brokenonallsides at gmail.com or write to us at 419 Johnson Street, Suite 102, Jenkintown, PA 19046. If you have a loved one in prison or a friend, you can print out a transcript of the show and send it to them. Look for a transcript on our website, defeatmassincarceration.com. And if you're looking for more info on some of the topics from today's interviews, there will be show notes with links below each show. Um, this one is episode one on the website, defeatmassincarceration.com. If you like this podcast, pass it on to other activists and organizers or people just getting involved. And please make a donation through the website. We do this out of our own pockets, and we need help continuing this work. You can also book me for a speaking engagement, guest lecture, or presentation of Broken on All Sides, my documentary about mass incarceration, to support this work. Give me 
in my dreams or give me your fiends. I'm haunted by the penitentiary screams. Shiesty bitches with schemes. Institutional. I carry razors and the slits of my jeans. The next show will have part two of our interview with Kinetic Justice and much more, so tune back in July 1st. My name is Matt Pillisher. This is The Thread, a podcast against mass incarceration. The struggle continues. Now that I'm out, can I live and be free? Can I work for a company that pays more than minimally? Will I give up before I get to see what's in it for me? This ain't about material, it's about looking in the mirror, seeing inferior. Society don't trust you, they couldn't get any larrier. I'm tired from my struggle, I couldn't get any wearier. I'm happy, I'm sad, anxious, angry, plain hysteria. Mixed with terror, new territory, always scarier. I killed my old habits, drug them to a wooded area, but couldn't seem to bury them. Bag of bones, I carry them. Sick as I fuck, wake up, I cherish wake up, I wake up. I be sweating in my sheets every time I go to sleep. I be headed to the streets. I be getting-